to this worship team, I just, uh, again, and all those who serve in our worship ministry, just a great big thank you. And um, it's, yeah. What's really fun is some of you haven't got to know these people. You, you, you know them maybe because you see them up front, but when you get to know them and you hear their hearts, then when you watch them lead you in worship and are led by them in worship, it just means all the much more because they love Jesus and they love offering their talents and their abilities and their hours and hours and years of practice and rehearsing to God as a humble sacrifice. And uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you and thanks for helping us to have a good time while we're at it. Um, it is good. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And a couple of things. Um, Yesterday, I guess Friday night, Stephanie Gutierrez, any of you know Stephanie Holcomb is actually her name now. She's married and moved on, but she had a baby. And uh, Benjamin Daniel, little boy, seven pounds, one ounce, I believe. And uh, so Stephanie, our little girl, now has a little boy. And she and Daniel are in San Diego and Benjamin now, and so Dolores and uh, family are there with that family, so we're celebrating that today. We had a great time at the Ignite Missions Conference yesterday. About five or six were there, were there from our church up in Santa Maria, and we were challenged, and I think Buffy, we were, we were inspired, and uh, Buffy got to ride to and Santa Maria and home with Pastor Aaron and I, so I'm not sure how inspired she was by the end of the day, but uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful time together learning about and being challenged by mission. And so uh, it, is, it is great to have this big family. Thanks, Michelle, for having them stand. I won't have you do that again, but it's great to have the big family uh, here for the birthday celebration. Sally, bless you. Happy birthday. And uh, I have, uh, parts of this family have been friends of me and my family for a long time. Edwin and Julie are great friends, and uh, Edwin was here just a couple of months ago with the Be Christmas uh, deal. That went really well. Thank you, Edwin. Um, Also with this group is Reuben Welch, and Reuben, just raise your hand. I I won't highlight Reuben too much, but I... I, I can't not say something about Reuben. When I was a freshman in college, he was nearing the end of his teaching, uh, full-time teaching career at Point Loma Nazarene University. He was a chaplain and professor there for 30, 40, a lot of years. <laughs> and I got to have him for my New Testament and Old Testament class as a freshman, and another class or two in college. And then when I went to seminary, he would come in his so-called retirement years. We know what those are like for ministers, right? He would come to the seminary and teach some classes. And I remember one in particular uh, that you taught called Mostly Matthew. It was, it was mostly the book of Matthew. And then a little bit of Reuben just kind of <laughs> sprinkled in. But um, Edwin told me that, uh, that Reuben was going to be a part of this, this group. And I'm preaching, as you'll soon discover, on uh, the farewell discourses, the last interactions with Jesus in the upper room, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but as I was going through my, preparing my message this week, a, a phrase kind of kept coming back through my mind, and I was thinking, wow, that, 
that's really good. Where have I, where did I, I know I didn't come up with that. It's too good for me. So, oh, that's it. So I went to my shelves and I found this book, Let's Listen to Jesus, Reflections on the Farewell Discourse by Reuben Welch. So the, the guy who, the guy who, beyond John himself, literally wrote the book on this uh, section that we'll be looking at today is with us. It's good. It's good to be able to look to God's Word together. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. We're celebrating what you're doing among us. We're, we're celebrating little Benjamin who has been born to Stephanie and Daniel. We're thankful for a great missions conference yesterday and for a wonderful spirit of, of worship here in this place today. You're good. You're worthy of all that we have and all that we are. We're thankful for this family that's gathered and for the birthday celebrations that are taking place. We're thankful for the body of Christ to which we can come and to which we can belong. We're thankful for the church of Jesus Christ, all that it means to us. And so we, we, uh, we want to take time to listen to you today, Jesus. Have your way with us. Stir our hearts and draw us together to your table today that we might, we might receive your grace. We might be changed. We might be your people in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are, uh, I'm going to let our kids be dismissed. And the kids are going to come back at the end for the Lord's Supper. Okay, so parents, when we're singing our closing song and you're receiving communion, you feel a little body sneaking up next to you, that's appropriate. They'll, they'll be coming back to join us for the Lord's Supper uh, at the end of the, the service. We're continuing on our series on the Gospel of John. We're calling it Messiah. And uh, uh, John will tell us at, towards the end of his chapter that he's written all, towards the end of this Gospel, that he's written all these things. He's, these stories and these teachings and these miracles. He's written all these things so that you might believe, reader, that Jesus is the Messiah. The sent one. The promised one of God. The Son of God. And that by believing these things, John says, you might have life by the power of His name. And I read that again this week and I thought, ah, this is a great book to read. By reading it, by listening to it, by attending to it, our hearts can be stirred in such a way that we might know that Jesus is the Messiah, that we might have life by the power of His name. And so we're drawing close. We're spending some good time in the Gospel of John, some, a, a good stretch of time. And we began in Advent by looking at the origins of the Messiah. And we started the new year by looking at several of the encounters that Jesus had had with people. And now in this season of Lent, as we move towards Holy Week and ultimately towards Easter, it's only about a month away, people. Can you believe that? April 5th this year, so buckle up. But uh, as we move our way towards Easter... And we, we move into a new uh, section as the gospel, uh, in the Gospel of John. We're in the season of Lent. We've left the city streets and we've moved with Jesus and His disciples into the quietness of this upper room. And last week we watched and observed and listened and attended to this scene as Jesus stooped and knelt to wash His disciples' feet. And again, to... So this morning, we're watching and listening in on this conversation. 
Jesus, we hear this phrase all the time. I, I, you know, I discipled somebody, or I was discipled by so-and-so, or who are you discipling? And maybe if you're like me, you wonder, what does that actually mean? But we see a beautiful picture of it in these chapters, because this is what Jesus is doing. He's discipling His disciples. He's, he's making known to them what is very important to Him, what is crucial for them as they will move forward in ministry. He's pouring into the disciples that which is most important to Him. Here is His last will and testament in a sense. The imprint that Jesus desires to leave on His disciples. He's, he's preparing them for the mission on which He will soon send them. And He's He's passing on to them in these conversations and in these actions, even in these moments together on this evening, He's passing on to them His love. He's passing on to them His life. And He's passing on to them His his legacy. That which was, Jesus believes and prays and gives everything He has so that that which was will be and will be. And so we're calling this section Legacy. And, uh, and, and the, the great confidence this morning is that just as he poured into those disciples on this night when he would ultimately be betrayed, he is pouring into us as well. And we get to be the recipients of this evening, just as those original disciples were. So let's listen to Jesus. Chapter 13 uh, of the Gospel of John, and I'm going to begin at verse 36. And I'll read through chapter 14 to verse 14. Let's stand together as I read, can we? At the end I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and all together we can say thanks be to God. Verse 36 of chapter 13 to begin. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough in my Father's home If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth. And the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. 
Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, i got to be honest, one of my favorite parts of any uh, public talk is the Q&A. I don't know if that's just because I don't like to sit there and listen to people talk, like I'm asking you to do right now, or if it's just because I like what can come up in questions and answers, the time set apart for questions and answers. And one of my favorite uh, expressions or examples of a Q&A session is in a press conference, either before or after a sporting event. Uh, these are wonderful times. I mean, I love to watch the game, but if it had to be between the game and some of these press conferences, give me the press conference every day. If you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube this, this afternoon, sports press conferences, and see what you get. It is hilarious. And again, this week I saw one, uh, parts of one. It was a basketball coach. I think I have a picture of him. Yeah, this is actually a screenshot from the press conference, and this is Rick Carlisle. He's the coach of the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, his team actually won the game. I mean, look at that look on his face. They actually won the game, but in the midst of the game, he got into a, an argument, a confrontation with one of his star players. And after the game, as he came to the press conference, all the reporters wanted to ask him about were what? The confrontation. They didn't have, they didn't want anything to know about the game. They didn't want to ask them, him how they won or why they won or what they did well. All they wanted to know was about the confrontation, about the altercation. And so this is kind of what he looked like for about 30 seconds, and then he just walked off of the platform. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're also familiar with uh, Marshawn Lynch. Many of you remember this running back for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, we remember his press conferences, and especially on media day leading up to the Super Bowl, and um, where they, they, last year he had been fined for not participating in media day, so he went, and over a five-minute interview period and being asked all sorts of different types of questions, came up with one single response that in five minutes he said 29 times, over and over and over. You can go to that, Robin. Say it with me, would you? I'm just here, so I won't get fined. And this week I found out that Marshawn Lynch has actually applied for a a trademark on that phrase. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I'm just here, so I won't get fined is going to be on t-shirts and sweatshirts and hats. And he will not get fined all the way to the bank, right? I mean, he's not messing around. Q&A. Well, um, perhaps you noticed that Jesus in his interactions with the disciples in this particular portion of Scripture uh, is largely driven by questions and answers. Questions from his disciples that then drive his responses and his teachings to them. 
But far from having any rehearsed or kind of static lines or anger or any sort of negative response to them, Jesus just opens up the floodgates. Ask away. Ask away. And, and, and I, I, I kind of believe that had they not asked these questions, he would have got this information in to, to the Scripture somehow down the line because he doesn't just give trite answers. He gives some responses to their answers that have formed what we might say is a, some critical pieces to the foundation for the entire Christian faith. But what we see here is Jesus responding and, and to them, and we, it shouldn't be lost on us that he responds to them in the midst of a conversation. That, that he does some of his best work in the midst of a personal interaction. Listening, speaking, listening, and speaking. And before we even get into what it is that he, they actually said to him, or he said to them, we, we shouldn't move too quickly past this idea that Jesus loves to listen to his people. Jesus loves to listen and interact with his people. Last week we talked about how Jesus loves to serve his people. He loves to love us. And we need to let him love us. This week, Jesus loves to listen to us. We need to listen to Jesus, but we're thankful that he listens to us and interacts with us and responds to us and allows our questions to, to prompt him and to move him. He's not threatened by them. Lord, they ask, where are you going, Peter? Thomas, how can we know the way? Philip, Lord, show us the Father. But just as he's again shown his love for them by washing their feet, now he's loving them by listening to their questions. Maybe you have some questions of Jesus from time to time. I know you do because you've asked them of me. We have questions of Jesus from time to time. Questions as to how he's working and what he's up to. And it's good to know. Be reminded today that he loves to hear you. He loves to hear you ask. And he does some of his best work in the midst of our questions. Well, at the heart of this passage is, is, is trouble. At the center and at the heart, at the center of it, kind of numerically, the verses, and at the heart of its meaning, we, we have trouble right here in the upper room, it does start with a capital T. It rhymes with P, but that doesn't stand for pool. But it is, we do have trouble right here in the upper room. Some of you know, is that the music man? Thanks, Kristen, yeah. Um, Jesus had just told his disciples in verse 31, that we didn't read this, but up above, that he will soon be leaving them. And that where he is going, they cannot come. This is what he has told them. This one who had called them out of their former lives. This one who had shown them things that they had never imagined. Things that they could have never dreamed of. That the doors that he had opened to them. This one who had taught them and mentored them and shared his life with them. And who had in these moments just previously knelt to wash their very feet would be going away leaving them behind. Add this to the fact that they had just heard Jesus in response to Peter's declaration that I will die for you. Jesus say to him, actually, you'll deny me. Add add to the fact that Jesus is leaving them the fact that one of their leaders is falling apart at the seams and trouble is brewing in this place. 
and the walls are caving in or crashing down. You pick the metaphor, but the walls are doing something bad here to the disciples. And it's a rough, rough scene for them. Trouble is in the process. In a very real sense, you can imagine that each of them as individuals were experiencing troubled hearts in this moment. But even collectively, just as, as their one spirit, their one heart together, in this community of disciples, there was, there was trouble afoot. It's possible that there were some emotions experienced in the upper room that night that we know nothing of. It, I'm not sure what they are, but it's possible that there are some emotions that the disciples went through being there present with Jesus and knowing that He was leaving and in having Him wash their feet and receiving the Lord's Supper, the, this meal from Him. It's possible that there were some emotions that they felt there that night that we don't know too well. But I don't believe that trouble is one of them. We know trouble. When I go to my son's school, El Camino Elementary School, Sometimes I go into the office and just to, you know, do some dad business, whatever that might be. Or when I was on the school site council, I would come and enter the office. And, and every time I would come into the office, nearly every time, in fact, I can't remember a time when this wasn't the case, there was always at least one or two boys. Yes, I don't mean to be sexist, but they were boys <laughs> over in the corner waiting their turn to see the principal. You're going to be in trouble. Do you remember that phrase? And I remember being to the principal's office a time or two. Myself. Where's my sister? Oh, good. Maybe once or twice I went to the principal's office. Very infrequently. But, oh, that, that, that stirring in your heart, that burden in your heart. Maybe... maybe that's a good sign. At least that wasn't just a cold-hearted playground assassin. But, um, I, you know, waiting to go into the principal's office and just this heaviness of, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm getting in trouble. And, and for me, as for many of you, I'm sure as well, that you knew that this was just the first step, that there would be a call being placed to the home. And whatever trouble I experienced in this place was a piece of cake compared to the trouble that I would experience later on that afternoon or evening. We know trouble. We know that phrase. We know trouble when we see it. We know trouble when we feel it too. Some of you can't sleep at night because of the trouble that you face even now. You you, you toss and turn because of financial trouble. You you stare at 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 the ceiling above you because of trouble on your job. Some interaction with a, a, a co-worker, a boss that is just driving you nuts. You flip the pillow over again and again as you consider the trouble in your marriage, the trouble with your kids, the trouble with your health, the trouble just seems to mount. And then you finally drift off to sleep and you dream about your trouble. And when you wake up in the morning, your thoughts are immediately once again filled with your trouble. And we try to ease our troubles. Usually that means coding them or just escaping them. We take pills for our trouble. We eat or we drink too much for our trouble. We watch one more Netflix 
for our trouble. We run, we run from our trouble, but eventually it catches back up with us. And I don't know about you, but it just to me, trouble feels like this kind of this, this snake or this, this plant that just works its way up around my body and around my windpipe and just starts to slowly tighten and cut off the air and the breath from my life. Um, trouble isn't really funny. And yet it is funny because as soon as we get rid of one trouble, there's another trouble waiting right around the corner for us. Well, one commentator has um, suggested that the best translation for the opening words of chapter 14 are, don't let your hearts be too troubled. I like this. Don't let your hearts be too troubled. I like this because uh, instead of invalidating the disciples' concerns, the disciples' troubles, instead of just sort of downplaying their discouragement and saying, ah, it's no big deal. Don't be troubled. It's as if Jesus is really saying here in these moments, yes, this is going to be difficult for you. This is going to be hard. In fact, I'm not sure I can think of anything harder that you've ever faced or will face. And yes, you should be concerned about the fact that one of you is going to betray me and another is going to deny me. Yes, this is an issue that you should be concerned about for sure. This should be troubling to you at some level. Who wouldn't be disheartened by this? Who wouldn't be discouraged? But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be too troubled. Yeah, I understand. It's going to be hard, but don't let them be too troubled. Can we hear these words today in the midst of whatever our troubling situation might be? This talk from Jesus isn't a, in other words, a sweeping our troubles under the rug sort of talk. It's not a cheer up, the sun will come up tomorrow kind of talk from Jesus. It's not a, your troubles aren't that bad, just get over it kind of talk. From Jesus. It's a don't give up talk. It's a don't stop talk. This trouble is real, but it will not be your end. It will not be your end. Learn from it and let's keep moving. And so, trust me, trust me, Jesus says to his disciples, I probably wouldn't. Trust those around you, even each other, your colleagues. Uh, they're showing their weaknesses. I, I probably wouldn't even trust yourself completely. There are parts of you even that you're unable to discern. But you can trust me, Jesus says. There's more than enough room in my father's home, he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, when the time is right, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. We hear these words at funerals, mostly. John 14, these opening verses. And there's a reason for them. They're comforting. They're helpful to us in that. But this promise from Jesus here at the beginning of 14, trust me, I will go and I will come back and get you. 
first given to the disciples and often offered to these suffering lost, reaches out and embraces us all. I have to admit, Brother Rubens recognizing a lot of this message today from his own book, but one of the thoughts that gripped me the most as he spoke on this section was the thinking about Jesus' going as well as his coming. We often just kind of throw that line away. I will go. And we focus on the fact that he's coming back. But how will Jesus go? He will go by way of the cross. And he'll go by way of the resurrection. He'll be our crucified and risen Lord who stands equipped and powerful to resource us and encourage us while we wait. We sang it well this morning. Victory in Jesus. Did you like that? Were there any hankies waving in the sanctuary? I didn't see them from the front. What, vic- what victory He has won for us by His going. Thank you, Jesus, that You went and did so via the cross and the empty tomb. What victory He promises in His coming Again, we live today in the strength of the One who has conquered sin and death, who lives among us in the fellowship of His church, and who has a plan to come again to be with us one day. And this is why Jesus can look at those disciples and He can look at us and say, don't be too troubled. Don't be too troubled. Trust me. Try me, Jesus also says to troubled hearts. You want to know the way to the Father, to a life of fullness, of of peace, of meaning, of significance, both now and forever? Try me. Nowadays, we don't even give people directions anymore. Have you noticed this? If you want to know where to go, it used to be turn left and then turn right and go a couple miles and turn left at this street. No, we just say, here's an address. Figure it out. (laughs) Remember MapQuest? Does anybody remember MapQuest? Does anybody still use MapQuest? Yeah, okay, it's still around. Good, good. I'm not putting it down. Don't worry. MapQuest, go on, go ahead. But MapQuest, Apple Maps or iMaps, whatever they want to call them, Um, Google Maps, um, Waze, how many Waze users do we have in the room? Yes. All of these, these mapping applications or uh, phone maps, we don't even give directions. We just say, here's, here's the address. Get there. And it's funny to me because you never quite know if you're going the best way still, right? Um, well, Jesus does a similar thing. You, you don't need directions to the Father. You just need me. I, I don't really need to spell it out to you, give you a line by line. I just need to say, here I am. I, I'm the one who will, who will show you the way. I'm the one who has even come down to be with you and walk with you on the way. But even more than that, I, I am the way, Jesus says. I, I, and once you found me, you've found your way to The Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. The quiet, 
again, you're in the quiet upper room, in the stillness of this scene, and you're hearing Jesus promising His followers that He is the way. His truth is the real truth. His life that He offers is the real thing. It's the real life. It's what He is able to give. As you live in Me, Jesus seems to say, I'll take you right where you need to go. It's interesting to me that early Christians were known as followers of the way. The way. And I've always kind of thought of that as following a particular pattern. They, they were followers of a particular lifestyle or a particular belief system. But, but perhaps it's the fact that they were just following the one who had said, I am the way. Followers of the way. Are we people of the way? It's also interesting to me, back to the Google Maps and Waze and MapQuest, that you'll usually get at least two or three, sometimes more options for getting to your destination. We like our options today, don't we? We like to know where the traffic is, like to get around that. I, I read an article recently about a neighborhood in Los Angeles that is trying to get Waze to, to shut down a particular uh, routing because where there's this really crowded spot in Los Angeles where people are just getting off the freeway in droves and driving through their private neighborhood at high rates of speed. So we like our options. We like to be able to get where we want to get, how we want to get there. We don't want to be confined. And for many, even professing Christians, this has transferred itself over into our faith. Some some would think it arrogant. Even as I read that verse to you this morning, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your first reaction was not, Amen. Thanks be to God. It was, huh. Can we really say that? How arrogant. How intolerant of Jesus to speak in such a way. We like our options Christians would believe that He is the only way to the Father. Now, it's just interesting to me that this this little scene in the upper room, Jesus and His disciples passing on His legacy has, has has spurred on such great theological debate and discussion and controversy. This This one who had just knelt to wash the disciples' feet. This one who was humbly listening to all of their questions and taking in every concern would turn around and speak in an arrogant, selfish, exclusive fashion. It doesn't compute, folks. We can get into some great discussion about the uniqueness of Christ, which I firmly believe in. We can get into some great discussion about the centrality of that claim to Christian faith. And that would be important discussion. And I wholeheartedly hold to that, friends. But we have to remember what Jesus is doing here. He's not engaging in theological debate with His disciples. He's speaking to troubled hearts. He's speaking to heavy hearts. Far from trying to arrogantly exclude anybody, this 
foot-washing one who will soon go to the cross is humbly and yet very confidently inviting any who would, any who are troubled, to try him, not as one option among many, but as the option. Trust me. Try me. Times of trouble, Jesus says these things. And now in response to Philip, who asked to see the Father, Jesus simply says, see me. See me. It's easy to jump to conclusions, isn't it, about about who God is and what He'll do for us. It's easy to, to, to think about all of our experiences or the experiences of people that we've known and, and to begin to conjure up ideas in our own minds about just who God is and how He acts. And, and if He did it that way this time, then He'll do it this way for me as well. And to try to pin Him into a certain way of acting or to say that there's no way we can ever even really know how he will act or who he will be. It's easy to sort of jump to conclusions about how God will respond even to us in the midst of our trouble. Jesus says when you're looking for help and unsure though of what God might have in store for you, he says don't, don't, don't jump to conclusions. Just, just look at me. First and foremost, look at me. I, I think the verse, if, put that next verse up there, would you, Robin? Anyone, Jesus says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't come, in other words, with a set, fixed idea as to who God is and how he might work and then try to somehow fit Jesus into that. Look at Jesus, the one who we've been watching now for chapters throughout the Gospel of John. Look at Jesus, the one who always saw the hurting person first. Who always moved towards the outsider. Look at Jesus who wept by his friend's tomb. Look at Jesus who knelt to wash his disciples' feet. Look at Jesus and there you'll see the true God. God is not confined to Jesus, but he is definitely defined in Jesus. We want to have a definition of who God is right next to him in the dictionary. God, it just should say, see a picture of Jesus. See Jesus. See me. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our concerns, we long to see God. We long to know God, to search for God. Jesus says that the search ends with me. Person who has seen me has seen the Father. See me, Jesus says, and in his very presence, we're in the presence of God. Trust me, try me, see me. The last one is this ask me. Ask me, Jesus says to the disciples in their times of trouble. Ask me. And maybe as you listen to me read the passage, if you have your Bible still open before you, you're looking again at 12 through 14, and you're wondering, can it really be that those who believe in Him will do greater things than He had done? This is what Jesus says there. And most commentators have stepped back and said, actually, qualitatively, no. We can't do greater things than Jesus did. But quantitatively, yes. 
It has already by far proven the case that even greater things than Jesus did, the church and the followers of Jesus throughout history have done. Jesus preached to 12, sometimes to 120, maybe to 5,000. But Peter, in his first sermon on Pentecost, 3,000 came to Christ. Quantitatively, greater things were already being done. But Jesus just keeps coming back in your trouble, in your time of concern. Ask me. He says, ask in my name. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. To ask in my name is not just to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. I think we know that. Just tacking on a nice in Jesus' name is not what Jesus is talking about here. It's to pray in the character and the Spirit of Jesus. Praying and asking in His name means that we get to know Him. That we find ourselves immersed in Him, in His longings and in His desires and in His plans and in His thoughts for our lives and for the world. For His purposes for the world. And we begin to live in that name and we'll then begin to see what needs doing and what we should be aiming at within our own sphere of influence and possibilities and what resources we need to do it. And then when we ask, we ask in that character and we ask only for the sake and for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And when all that is happening, Jesus says, ask in your time of trouble. Whatever time you find yourself in, really, ask. Ask. This is going to sound really crazy to you, but a few years ago, my sister-in-law was visiting us, and she took our van to a grocery store. And while she was there, she got into a disputed fender bender. It was not really even a fender bender. It was more of a scratch going in and out of a parking lot and, or out of a parking space. And she didn't even know that she had made contact, but evidently she had. The person came back out while she was still in the store. This is kind of a convoluted story, but... They reported it, they, they got our information, they said that she had hit their car when she came into the parking space, and so since she couldn't remember, and the evidence seemed to lean towards that direction, our car insurance company just settled that out and paid the person their insurance claim. In so doing, our car did sustain a little bit of damage, and... Uh, we couldn't really see it. Our car already has a little bit of damage, and so it didn't really stand out to us too much. But then our insurance company was willing to pay for our uh, concerns as well. And so they said, take it to a shop, take it to an auto body shop, and we'll, we'll send your, your payment there. And so we went, and, you know, we couldn't really see it, but the body shop saw $1,800 of damage. <laughs> of course, right? And, um, and, and of course, uh, we had a $500 deductible on that, and so we just decided that instead of dishing out the 500 bucks, we would just kind of go on with what we've got. Some of you have maybe been in this case before, and you just decided against paying the deductible, just keeping what you got. I remember, though, in those conversations, I was talking with the insurance person. I was like, now, what happens to the money that you've already set aside for us? And I was like, because I don't really want our insurance rates to go up. And she said, Mr. Kinsler, you haven't had a claim in 22 years. Uh, I, I think you're going to be okay. So uh, it's not going to go up, but, but yeah, that, 
that $1,300 is available to you. I'm like, you mean at any time? (laughs) Yeah. Do I have to give you the address to the auto body shop? No, no, no. No, we can just write you a check and just send it straight to you. You can take it wherever you want. Wheels are spinning, so wait a second. If I'm happy with my car and I don't really need to get it fixed, I can just, there's just a check for $1,300 sitting for me at the insurance offices waiting to be spent out. Yeah, that's, that's it. Does that happen very often? Yeah, we've got lots of claims that are just, or, or cash that is unclaimed. We actually, she said, we actually do, people do this all the time. And I said, well, okay, let me get back to you. And that was about three years ago. Or four, or what did I say? A long time ago. And I've never gotten back to her. So right now, I've got 1300 bucks <laughs> sitting in USAA's insurance office with Kyla's name on it. Unclaimed. Unasked for. Resources. Unasked for. I don't know what you want to do with this passage. Ask in my name and I'll do it. I don't want to name it and claim it. Nab it and grab it. I don't know what else you want. I I don't want to quite go there, but I, I also don't want to ignore Jesus saying to us, in the midst of your time of trouble, in the midst of your time of questioning, of uncertainty, of what the past has meant, what the current time holds or what the future will be for you, in the midst of all of that, I can't ignore, nor can any of us, his invitation to ask. See what resources might be available. See what, see what blessings of heaven, the provision of God that we could never have perhaps anticipated could come through for us. Who needs to ask Jesus today in a new way? William Carey, the great missionary, he said uh, to India, he said this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I love that. Can we attempt great things for God moving forward in faith, expecting that God will be great as well? Trust me, try me, see me, ask me. Today we come to the table of the Lord and we'll serve you in your rows. And it's in this place where troubled hearts can come and know that God's grace is being poured out. His body broken and His blood shed being poured out for the many. And so we come, and we receive, and we eat, and we drink. And in our church, we celebrate an open communion table. That means you don't have to be a member of this church. You can be one who is seeking after Christ in this place today, and you're welcome to eat and to drink. And in so doing, we pray 
whether you've been a believer for a long time or just now coming to a place where you're ready to put your trust in Jesus, that you would find a place of confidence in him. I love that about Jesus in this passage. No matter what the question that gets thrown at him, he's not caught off guard. Did you notice that? He's completely at ease. He's completely confident. He knows that what they need, he has. And what we need, he has as well today. Let's stand together, can we? I invite our worship team and our servers to come forward, and I'll serve you first. And then we'll be led in a song, and you can sing along as the elements are passed to you. The bread will come first, take a piece, and then the tray of cups will come, take a a cup. And if you're able, hold them and we'll eat and drink together. If you're not able to do that, then go ahead and eat and drink when you're ready. But uh, let's pray and believe for God to work in these moments together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that when we see you, we see the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you're speaking to us even as you listen to us. You love to listen. You love to love us. You're saying to each of us this this morning, don't let your hearts be too troubled. I know, I know what you're going through. And I'm not sweeping it under the rug, we hear you say. I know what you're going through, and it is hard. It is really hard. And I know that once you get through this one, there'll be another one. But would you trust me? We hear you say, try me, see me, ask me. Don't leave any of my resources left untapped. Come to me both for the trouble that you now know and for the uncertainties of the future, for your greatest hopes, wildest dreams. Come to me. Don't be troubled. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken your blood that was poured out. Thank you that you invited us to eat and to drink along with your disciples there that night and told us that this was your body broken for us to remember you as we eat and to drink the cup remembering that your blood was shed for the, for the salvation of our souls. Thank you, Jesus, that you're reaching to us with your grace even now. We receive of it with grateful and glad hearts. And we want to respond to you now in these moments with trust and with obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.